three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 74. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And as you probably know, we have taken a little bit of a break. We released episode 73 and said that we were going to listen and learn about race and racism and anti-racism. And, and that was six weeks ago. Okay, I didn't know. it was May 31st when we released that episode. Okay. And we started feeling like it was just time for a check-in. So we don't... Um, assume this is going to be a full episode. We, you know, we're, we we aren't, we don't have all the answers. <laughs> we just have more questions, <laughs> right? Um, but we just kind of wanted to update people where we were. We have actually received quite a bit of feedback, like, you know, people saying they listened to it, even local friends, mm-hmm. that, you know, people we know in real life <laughs> saying they've listened to it. And so we wanted to kind of give a update um, on where we are. You guys want to say anything else before we roll? No, it's good. We're good. Okay. So we thought what we would do is just each share um, a favorite resource or two of what we've been reading or listening to or watching or whatever. We've um, and we've made a list of, just so you know ahead of time, of I think most of the things that we've looked at that we would recommend. I've looked at some things I wouldn't recommend. Um, but all the things that we would recommend that are related to these big ideas of race and racism, um, we've made a list of them and put them in our show notes. We're not going to talk about all of them. We know people are kind of overwhelmed with lists of resources, too, yeah. you know. But if you hear something that um, you want to – if you hear some, us talk about something – today it'll be on that show notes along with other things that one or more of us have looked at mm-hmm. in the last six weeks um so ruth you want to go first and talk about something okay. that oh, wait i don't think i i'm sorry i'm cut you off for a second we'll talk about sure. that and and also like one or two big takeaways that may or be related to that resource or um just a big idea you've learned in the last couple weeks so go ahead ruth so my first resource um is one of the books that we have decided we were going to read together. And I must say that reading these books is a lot slower than reading the math books we read last summer. Like, hey, I'm going to read this one tonight and we can talk about it tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll pick it up and start it too. But you cannot do that with these books because they are just so deep. And I think the one that's influenced me the most at this point Um, is called So You Want to Talk About Race. Mm -hmm. And I think my takeaway so far as I'm in chapter three or chapter four is she, like the first three chapters, you just feel guilty as a white person reading it. Like, Mm. ooh, I've done that. Mm, I've thought that. I thought I wasn't racist, but... I have so much to do to become anti-racist. Right. And then at the, like the end of chapter three, she's like, you're going to screw this up. You're going to screw it up royally more than once. I'm sorry. I wish I could say reading a book would guarantee you'd never have a conversation. You'd never leave a conversation about race feeling like you've gotten it all wrong and made everything worse. But I can't. It's going to happen. And I think that 
has really pinpointed me to where my issues are. Because if I don't feel intelligent about it and I feel like I'm going to make a mistake, then I'm just not going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And this has given me kind of the courage. And it's also given me a good plan because right after that, she goes into like the top 10 things that you should do when you're having a conversation about race. And by all means, have a conversation about race, even when they're hard. So for me, that is a takeaway is that it's something that has to be part of, like I have to listen for it and address it when I hear it, but also to just be able to engage with friends that look like me in conversations about race, mm-hmm. not just when, um, you know, I have someone beside me who looks different than I do. Yeah. So that's my takeaway from that. And then um, Phil Vischer, who is the author of Veggie Tales, posted, I think it was like a 17 minute video originally. And then he like narrowed it to seven minutes for the sake of social media. Yeah. And it's history and it's data. Um, but it just proves that there is systemic racism and that it's a problem. And he doesn't have any opinions in it. So you can't be offended by it because it's just facts. Yeah. Um, and it's really caused me to do more research. And I think this has also really brought me closer to Christ because I've filtered all of this through scripture. Like there's so much in scripture about all the different nations and I don't know, like heaven's going to be a beautiful place with lots of different colored people. And sometimes we just don't think about it enough. And so I just feel like us talking about it and it being in my face has made me want to be able to speak intelligently about it and not just continue down the path I've been going. Mm -hmm. I can say like even just the two of us talking about it on our runs and when i say mm-hmm. it i talk about race you so know? you two not me <laughs> no not you no, not me. not you on our <laughs> runs like i mean think about a year ago ruth i don't think we were we were comfortable having tough conversations together you know and right I was, and i, I don't think we even you... knew that we needed to have yeah tough conversations yeah. so yeah and there's a lot of times where like we're testing out ideas on each other. Like, okay, what, how does this sound? You know, like, I think you right. got to find a person like that that can be your first sounding board of, mm-hmm. do I have this right? You know? Um, Where it can be safe yeah, to say the wrong thing or right. say it a different, you know, there's, yeah. I don't know. That's the other thing I've done is I've engaged my, um, my husband and I have a black lady who lives um, behind us and she lives by herself. She lost her husband and her boys are grown and gone. And we go by once a week. And every time we knock on her door that she's just like, Oh, please come in, please come in. And Mm -hmm. the last couple of times we've just asked about like, tell us your story. Tell us what you think. And man, I've learned so much from her. Yeah. That's awesome. I've enjoyed hearing about her too. (laughs) We we run, we run by her house, um, on, on one of our routes. So, Jay, do you want to go next? Talk about your resource. Um, I have not been reading the same books you have because, well, we have one copy. We have one copy, and (laughs) I just haven't. I have had other stuff that I've been been working on. But you did share that the podcast with me not too long ago. The the uh, the Lynchburg neighborhood podcast. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and it's a a local um, local man who 
you know, is, is interviewing people that have been, you know, um, of some sort of significance in the city of Lynchburg and, and through different different facets of neighborhoods of Lynchburg and the history of Lynchburg. And the one that specifically you brought up was um, with Dr. John Abel, who is a professor at Randolph College, and talking about redlining, um, which is a practice that was used um, back in the 30s and 40s. It was part of a process that home lenders used to, to signify, um, uh, I guess, prominent neighborhoods or neighborhoods that were um, looked at as desirable, neighborhoods that were um, okay, neighborhoods that were declining, and then neighborhoods that were not desirable. And they had three different categories and they would physically shade or draw lines around different neighborhoods. And this was cities everywhere. This is Los Angeles. This is New York. This is Detroit. This is Lynchburg. Um, everywhere in an effort to help lenders be racist. You know, that's not what they said <laughs> yeah. back then. Yeah. It was, you know, back then it was, these are the neighborhoods. This is where you want, this is where people are likely going to be able to afford to pay off their home loans. And this is areas where the houses are valuable enough to lend, or this is places where um, these people, you know, this is a, a less desirable neighborhood. You don't want to lend money to people in this area because they are not going to be able to pay that back. Like the word risk, too, would be another yes. coded way to yeah. say it. Th that's risky to lend to any houses in here. So this is not a financially sound decision when it was completely based on the residents and the people that lived in that area. And um, and he was he was talking about in Lynchburg in the, you know, and, and well, it's, he he brought up some other like um, Levittown in, in Pennsylvania and some other places where homes were being being created. And at the time, there were black families that could afford homes of that price level. It wasn't out of their price, but they were prevented from purchasing those areas from, you know, this was not redline. This was other, um, you know, racist practices about a developer had to write in their contract before someone would loan them money to develop the land that they were only going to sell to white families. Mm -hmm. um, and realtors could lose their job if they helped a black couple l look at a house or purchase a house in a white neighborhood. Exactly. I didn't read that whole, I didn't do that podcast, but I read that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It was on like realtor.com and that's not even, it yeah. was, it's not even a long time ago. It's not no. like we're talking about, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, and, and realtors had to have, a you know, agree and make agreements. And, you know, they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that for fear of losing their jobs. Um, but the redlining process, there was, you know, red neighborhoods, there were yellow neighborhoods, there were green neighborhoods and there were blue neighborhoods. But all these different neighborhoods were were marked based on who lived there. And it was interesting, like if it was a neighborhood that was primarily um black or other minorities. And it was, you know, he, he made a statement to say it was not always just, um, you know, it wasn't just black people or people, you know, that we think of people of color, but immigrants, people of other nationalities that, you know, back then were looked at as less than or less desirable. Now, it was definitely primarily, you know, minorities and, and black families. But, you know, you could be in a family that was a lot of white families, but some black families had moved in the neighborhood and all of a sudden it was shaded yellow as declining. Or um, right up against a neighborhood. Yeah. It was in close enough proximity to, to neighborhoods that were redlined that it had that it was given a yellow shading or a yellow line and, and deemed declining just because nearby there were families that, that were black. 
Um, and I'm not going to say I didn't have any idea that this happened, but I didn't know that it was so obvious and blatant and not, they didn't, you know, they may have used some other words, but they weren't trying to hide it. Yeah. Yeah. It was in, anyway, it was, it was a great, it was also the first part of this podcast. He talked also about, um, food deserts and specifically parts of Lynchburg where there uh, is no, um, no easy access to fresh food or, or vegetables or produce. And, it, you know, it went from that into redlining, but that was, I had heard at least had an idea of food deserts, um, but it was still interesting to see how, and some of the things that he had tried organizations he had tried, had been a part of to try to fix that. And even now it's just so hard to fix that problem. I mean, two or three organizations he's been with yeah. that either tried and folded or just gave up and said it wasn't, it, it was just not attainable. Yeah. And I think the, the one of the big picture takeaways from that is that we hear these ideas of food deserts and, and the lending practices and the redlining, and it doesn't feel local, but it's very much local and very much yeah. still affects what's happening. I like how I liked his transition into what Lynchburg looks like today and mm -hmm. how that's impacted it. And uh, yeah, I think, you know. We all, not, you know, have, most of our listeners aren't from Lynchburg, probably, right. but we all can kind of, if we want to, do the work to learn about what it what it looks like in your own place. And where we're you not live. a big city. I mean, this yeah. is this is not like we, we live in a big city where this was yeah. where this was done on a, on a large scale. It's in and in the 30s we were even smaller, right. and, and you know it, it happened everywhere. And I, I will say, you know, I want to the the creator of this podcast or the the interviewer. Um, is the host the other host is, is billy hansen and i have met him before and and in some other some other parts of life but he is a real estate broker i mean that's his job um is he works in real estate so to you know it's interesting you know he had some idea but even he was talking about how some of these things were new concepts that, you know for 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 him to see and to, and to learn yep cool thanks for sharing that sure so I'll share two resources, and I would say one you might call a beginner resource and one you might sh call a not beginner, maybe. <laughs> I don't Intermediate really. resource? Yeah. Um, so Seeing White is another podcast um, produced. It's an episode. It's a, a season of a podcast called Seen on Radio, S-C-E-A-N-E, Seen on Radio. And the, one of their, um, it's several years old, but it's still completely applicable now um one whole season is called seeing white and the um the host is really just exploring whiteness and he is a white man and he's just walking through history you know there's a lot of the same things that we were reading about in stamped some of the same things that you're in the in your phil vischer video um but he just each week explores different parts of whiteness through history and then him sort of like reckoning with what that means for himself now um what it means to be white just um just so many eye-opening things and pretty honest conversations he has a black man that he like comes on the episode sometimes and kind of bounces ideas off of and he's a, an expert in in that area of of time out race and things and um it's just been it's been a good journey i'm not done i'm like at episode not eight or seven somewhere in there um but i feel like if you are a white person beginning this work of learning about our history that is pretty awful um and trying to reckon with that this is a good place to start to be honest with yourself of what 
what your history is, you know? Um, and then I would say if you are for anybody, but you know, maybe not people that are, I'm not going to say don't watch this if you're not, if you're just starting out to learn about it. But anyway, I think this particular, um, it was a webinar, I guess, like a panel webinar. Um, and it's on YouTube now. And it was from Haymarket Books and the Schomburg Center. And it's called Abolitionist Teaching and the Future of Our Schools. Also, one of our podcast listeners, Michelle Newell, I saw that she had recommended it on Twitter. And so there's the host. And then there are three women, um, Bettina Love. Goldie Muhammad and Dina, I'm sorry, I can't remember her last name at this moment, but um, they are talking about what it means to be to to be an abolitionist teacher. And I'm not even going to attempt to explain it. You should just straight up listen to them talk about it. Um, but I love how they start off by sharing their experiences about what made them want to do the work of an abolitionist teacher or anti-racist or any of that. Um, and they're like just their passion for it. And then their joy and excitement for black students and black excellence. And I can't, I can't do it justice. You just, just watch it and you, you're going to have to watch it and like pause it and take some deep breaths. And, and that's like, what Whoa. I was going to say. It's <laughs> like reading one of these books. It's yeah. not just like listen to it in the background and gather what they're talking about. Yeah. Cause you have to just, be able to take a break and just say, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really, it's really good. I can't believe that that happened to you. Yeah. Like, you just want to, I don't know, go through the screen and have coffee with them. And yeah. 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 For um, sure, for sure. I'm on That's my good. second listen through um, right now, and I, I probably could listen to it two or three more times, honestly. So yeah. please check it out. Um, so I would say that my... This is coming from multiple places, but probably mostly from the Seeing White podcast. My my big takeaway kind of has two parts, and that is that not all black people are the same. You know, like I, we can learn. We can learn like best practices of things to say and not say and the right language to use. And um, we can study all day long and read the people on Twitter that we feel like are wise and and gather and learn and learn and learn. But that still doesn't explain the experience of every single black person. Exactly. So if you are, you know, going to get offended because you're like, oh, I thought this was the right thing I was supposed to do. And here's a, you're black and you're telling me that's wrong. Oh, I'm going to throw up my hands and just be like, forget it. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's not the right road to go. So also and that, that same thing, you know, I have, you know, seen people say, well, well, you know, my, my neighbor's black and they don't have a problem with that. I think that's just a bunch of, yeah. you know, just a bunch of mess. It's a bunch of people wanting to, you know, and your neighbor, who your neighbor may be a black person, but they may have had completely different experiences. And yeah. they're, you know, like you said, not all black people have the same responses and have the same feelings. And it's not like I, I've checked. I've run it by my one black friend and they said it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to change what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just trying to filter everything I learned through that and make your best guess you know, with what you've got. And then don't be offended when somebody tells you. Be ready to get it wrong. Over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah. And then, so the flip side to that, that I was, this idea is definitely from Seeing White. He talks about it's a privilege. It's a, pri it's a white privilege that we want to be seen or even see ourselves as individuals. Like if, if some white person does something that's nasty, 
uh, you know, like Karen at the Walmart, right? <laughs> like you think. Can you tell us more about Karen at the Walmart? No, I'm not going to talk about Karen at the Walmart. Like you're like, gosh, why didn't she get any home training? What is her problem? She She's, you know, so nasty and mean. But we're saying like. I can separate myself from her. I'm not part of her. I'm not the same as her. I'm an individual. She's a different individual. But whether it's, whether we're conscious of it or not, I think we do the opposite. We're, we're guilty of doing the opposite to black people. Like we'll see a black person do something and then, you know, think, well, that just continues the stereotypes that I, that I had already, you know? And, um, we 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 allow ourselves individuality, but not another group of people. They don't get individuality. You know, that's just a, the structure of. One to, to bring up a quote that that I think this quote was intend intended to be about the current you know health environment and, and, and issues with that. But I think it, I think it applies to this as well. And that person said, when people say they just want to get back to normal. They mean the last point at which their personal combination of privilege and income allowed them to ignore the hellscape everyone else lives in. Hmm. Wow. So, like, I just want to be back to where your problems aren't in my newsfeed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I want to be back to where I don't have to I don't have to hear about the terrible things that are happening that are happening to other people. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Okay. I'm done sharing what I my big my big picture that I'm wrestling with all the time and Ruth and I talked about it on our run recently and trying to hash out what that means and how you can act and live in that but I do want to say that I found the lady's um, name that I had missed her oh, name yes. is Dina Simmons so I'm sorry that I hadn't didn't have her last name at that moment um, so as we're reading we're also constantly not bombarded, but constantly reminded you have to act too. It's not enough Mm -hmm. to just read and learn. Like you've got to act out of your, your new knowledge. So I'm wondering like, what, what are you doing, Ruth? Like, like (laughs) what what are you? (laughs) Boom. Yeah. What are you doing? So maybe what I've done, I feel like what I'm doing is I, I mentioned this already is eliminating the fear I have of talking about this, the uncomfortable conversations um, where before if someone were to say, I'm not racist um, because I dot, 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 Mm -hmm. I would just let them take that away and not have to necessarily think about how that's not enough. Right. Right. Because it's really easy as white people to just say, well, I'm not racist, and so this isn't my problem, and I'm going to continue to live in my bubble. And I'm raising my hands because that was me mm-hmm. for a long time. So that's one thing. And I, the other thing that I did was um, I have, like, 1,500 Facebook friends, and I'm going to guess that, like, 300 of them are students that I taught when they were in first grade 20-some years ago. Okay. So... As I'm in my quiet time and I'm reading scripture, I just begin to pray like, God, which one of my students needs to be encouraged? And this was right after George Floyd. And it, like, I, I just wanted to do something like I wanted to hug all of them and to mm-hmm. make sure that they knew that I loved them. Um, but understanding that because I had black kids in my classroom didn't make me non-racist. That wasn't enough. Mm, yeah. Right. So. 
I specifically prayed for him to bring names. And as I thought about these students, I just got on Facebook and sent them private messages. Um, you know, kind of looked at their Facebook to see what they were doing, found something that I could be proud of for them. Mm-hmm. A couple of them have like little businesses that they were online at the time because of COVID. And so I tried to reach out and buy something cool. from their company. And I just, the response, because my heart was just sincere, like, I'm just looking at you, you know, mm-hmm. I see you and I love you from 20 years ago. <laughs> there are so many students were responded with, holy cow, you know, And so it's not, it wasn't a big deal. I just, we didn't talk about race. I just made sure that they knew that I remembered them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And I think the other thing is, I just, it's funny how you are, like I was having a conversation with my husband and I was trying to explain to him how something he said had hurt my feelings. And he, his whole response was, well, it shouldn't have hurt your feelings because this was my intention. Mm-hmm. And so then I wanted to backpedal and say, but you do that a lot because you did it this time and this time. But I try not to keep a record of wrongs because yeah. it doesn't do your marriage good to backtrack. And I was sharing with you on a run and you were like, well, now you know how black people feel. And I went back to the book that I had been reading and there's the story in there of someone who punches you in the arm and walks by and then someone else punches you in the arm and you don't do anything and you don't do anything and you don't do anything. And then someone punches you in the arm and you just sock them. Yeah. And that person's like, what did I do? You know, it was just a punch in the arm and it's this repetitive racism that they feel. And then nobody understands that it's just built on each other. And I got that. Like, I really want you to understand that this is how you make me feel. And please don't take what I said and make it so sound so simplistic. And so like, you shouldn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. It's a legitimate feeling. And so it's almost like things in my life, I filter through now race, like, Hmm. oh, that's how you feel all the time. Yeah. You know, sorry about that. And I have a friend in Ohio who um, I'm actually going to see her, but she's kind of on the same journey as I am. And she said, her son said she was he was going to go to a protest. And she was like, I understood it was important, so he should go. And I just said, please, please, please be careful. And she was like, the pit in my stomach, I felt, and I didn't want him to go. And then... I realized that that's how black moms feel every single day. Like, just be safe. You're going to leave the house? Oh, be safe. You're going to drive somewhere? Oh, be safe. And she's like, I can't imagine that feeling every single day. And so it it just becomes real. Like, I feel like when you say, God, I really want to understand so that I can make a difference. Well, he's going to answer that prayer. He's going to bring things to help you understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know that you have done some things too. Like you got to talk about just the boldness you have when you're like at a math conference in the middle of COVID and in the middle of racism talk 
in the community and what you did and kind of how people responded. Yeah. So I um, had on the very last day of work, I was leading a uh, math workshop online about fluency for the coaches. Now, was this the last day before everybody went home or the last day of the real school year? It was the last day for the coaches. So like two weeks after the school year had ended, this was on my very last day of work. So this is like the June. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so I was, I was talking to the coaches and, and I was just feeling so much like here I am talking about fluency, which three months ago was like, woohoo, let's all learn about fluency. Gung ho, you know, really excited that we had agreed to have a book club and they bought the books and everything. Um, but by the time this day in June came, I was not into it. My brain and my heart was in the, what was going on in the rest of the world. And we had been meeting, I'd been meeting with these people, my colleagues, and it just wasn't coming up. You know, you and I were talking about it all the time. I was talk, texting my friends all the time, but we just weren't talking about race. And I was like, what's going on here? Well, it's because people are scared. They don't know what to say. This group of 11 white women, you know. Um, and so I finish my thing and I take a deep breath and I say, okay, so I just want to let you know that yes, this is important, but even more importantly is to, to talk about what's happening in the world right now and what this new consciousness that people, especially white people are having about what's really going on with race. And I'm on a journey, I'm learning, I'm committed to learning this summer. And if anybody wants to join me, I'd love to, like, I'd love for you to join me in, in this process. Um, I didn't quite, I didn't say like, let's have a book club or, you know, I just said like, if you want to talk about it individually in a group, whatever, let me know. And what was really cool is that five out of the 10 other coaches said they want to do it. Um, and so we've met once a week, every week since then, and they're really super committed and they're really honest. Um, and we've been having great conversations and we've been, you know, we were kind of late in the summer. Well, late in the start of the summer, I don't know, getting started. And it wasn't like we could buy, anybody was ready to buy a book and commit to reading an entire book. Not, not only that, you probably couldn't get a book by that point. Exactly. Yes, that's a true <laughs> statement. So we decided we would choose other resources that were free, but all look at the same resources and do like three hours. We committed to three hours of work of learning, and then we would come back and talk about them. So a lot of the things that are in our show notes are the things that we've talked about, Seeing White and different movies that we all could get on Netflix. And, you know, um, and it's just been eye-opening. I've learned a lot. Um, and I don't know, it's just really been exciting. Probably one of my most, my it's been stretching, but one of my favorite things about this summer which doesn't really feel like a summer, right? <laughs> it's, it's a weird right. time. Yeah. Um, and then my my principal kind of brought it up that they had done, they had started to have a conversation at the principal level. And she was like, I want to, you know, I think we should probably do something at school. And I was like, yes, 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 <laughs> let's do it. Um, and so um, she and our um, school psychologist and I have kind of like, started now with school with school people and we had our first meeting and 20 people were there which out of a staff of 100 that 100 is like every single person I feel Mm -hmm. like 20 is really good um and we're going to do the same kind of model we're going to have um some work air quotes some work to do and then come back and try to answer a specific question based on those resources that we've looked at so when it comes to like the doing and the action you know Yes, I know there's bigger, 
there are big things to do. There is political changes and economic changes and curriculum changes. And there's all that that needs to be done. But I also have to think about what are my gifts? My gifts are teaching and mm-hmm. and think finding and cultivate or not. Um, What's the word? Curating resources, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'm coming into a gift of working with adults, not just kids, but like I'm I'm working on that. And so I have to work a little bit in my lane and realize that even though this doesn't feel like big, huge changes at the systemic level that I would want to see, you know, I think this is right now where my work is, is to bring people into it. Yeah. But I think it's also encouragement for someone who's looking at this. I mean, I, I feel like we've all said it is that this is just a huge, huge problem. And it's really easy to just be like, oh, let's just get back to normal Mm -hmm. and put up that wall and let them live outside of that wall by themselves of that, you know, like, let me live inside my bubble where this doesn't affect me every day. But if everybody just did a little bit, I mean, it really is about being able to just engage people in conversations and loving everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes that's really what you have to do is you have to just work on your own heart. Yeah. Who cares if you don't want to read a book or, you know, do a podcast or lead a session? Just work on your heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if everybody did a little bit, this problem wouldn't be as big. But just because it's big isn't a good reason to shut down and not do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing about that idea of how, like, there are two racisms, right? There's the, like, individual racism. And so I think part of that is, like, you working on yourself. And I think we're all doing plenty of that. But then there is the systemic racism. And so we, I guess I'm over here thinking, like, how do we make changes to the to the big the one? Yeah. You know, like, we we... We have to start here. We have to, you know. People can't see what change well, you're holding Yeah, I'm going to have to start on the mm-hmm. individual and eventually navigate, you know, s- slide over but into the But a lot other. of that starts with educating our children. Yeah. You know, the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that, actually? Yeah, yeah I was going to say I have, I have two things, and I'll start with that one is, you know, I grew up in Lynchburg, and I knew that there was, you know, a racial divide. I knew that there were parts of the neighborhood, you know, I knew that, you know, there's a, a history of, um, you know, every city has it, but I, I knew a lot of the, the history of black Lynchburg, like black citizens of Lynchburg in, in the past. And, and, you know, there's a, a school that was the, was the black high school. I, I knew that this, you know, that this racism and that this division existed, but I didn't know what, I didn't know what the people went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had like, and I'm, I'm not, this is not an excuse. I had friends that were black, but they were, you know, they were of uh, themselves of a privilege or an income or a class where not that they didn't see this, but they didn't share it with other people. You know, they had these, they had these situations occur, but they, they didn't share that with me. I didn't see what they felt and what they went through. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I did not have any idea. Or I didn't have a, a good idea of what, you know, 
the everyday stuff, the worried about, like you said, you know, worrying about sending your kids to the grocery store or, um, you know, the, the, the lessons and, and the warnings that mothers would give their kids before they left the house and don't do this, don't do this, say this, don't ever do, you know, don't mm-hmm. look this way, you know, all these things. And, and, you know, and that's just the, 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 the very first parts of it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I don't think anybody's, you know, intentionally tried to keep that from me. It was just not in our experience. Um, but nobody try, you know, I'm not gonna say nobody. There were, I'm sure through school, there were people that tried to share and there was, you know, chances where I was told this, but it didn't hit me because I did not have anything to connect it to. Mm -hmm. I had no framework to take in this knowledge and to to make sense of it. Right. Um, But I do know that there were not a lot of people that tried to, 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 you know, to tell me this or to, you know, help me understand this. And I don't want that to be the case with, with our children. I don't want our children going another 30 years and going, really, that happened. Mm -hmm. That was, that was something that was bad. Um, and I, I just, you know, I I don't want that to, to continue. Um, so, you know, we have, we have started, we've had conversations. We talk about it at dinner. A lot of times, sometimes, you know, we have a fun question, but sometimes there's something that has come up and we, we want to talk to them serious, uh, and ask them, not so much ask them what they think, but, you know, explain to them some things that are going on and, you know, about, you know, the, the protests and, and our kids both went to protests with us uh, from, mm-hmm. um, in Lynchburg. And, uh, I think it was, it was eye opening and they got to see something and, and, you know, it's not, it's not like that's all they need, but that was, that was, you know, a step and, but to keep bringing things up. And when we see things happen and we hear of people who are mistreated, letting them, you know, sharing that and, and understanding what people are going through. Um, and these history things that we keep finding just even his, historical stuff, letting them know about it and having them understand it. And we're trying to give them some language. Like we've uh-huh. talked about what privilege means and we talked about impact versus intent versus impact. We yeah. talked about what the word racism means, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about all those with them. Yeah. And so to, to not let that. And you guys not, watch the Sesame street. Yeah. yeah. Which is in the show notes. Um, it was so good. I could not convince my 23-year-old and 19-year-old that they Aww. wanted to watch this. <laughs> yeah. Too bad. This this uh, 38-year-old was all over it and loved every minute of it. Yeah, we, right? bo- we both had some teary moments, I oh, have yeah. to say. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and to help them be prepared and just, you know, and them to understand that their friends that they, you know, used to see in class. <laughs> used to. You know, are, are are going through this right now. This is not, you know, we can we find examples from history, but that doesn't mean it only happened in history. It happens mm-hmm. every day, yeah. all the time, right now. And 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 you know, hoping that they that we can help them understand that so that they don't go through um, ignorant to what what's going on. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was we talked about the, the books that you that we tried to you know purchase right away at the time. Um, when we put our last podcast out Um, and we were, you know, a day after, you know, people started to to go and try to find books and and already things were unavailable everywhere. Um, We, we were able to find two of the books right away local in Lynchburg and got those. Um, But the ones, the ones we couldn't get right away 
um, we did go online and we found a bookstore in Washington, D.C. called Mahogany Books. And that's where we went to get, and I don't remember which, which book it was we got from there um, specifically, but one of the three that, that you had mm -hmm. talked about. And I, I, they, you know, we ordered it. I knew that it was going to be one of those things where, sure, it said on their website they had it. And maybe it was going to be back ordered. Maybe it was going to be slow getting out. And it was longer than we than I, not longer than I expected, longer than, you know, normally you think you order a book and you get it, you know, in, in, uh, in today's world, you get it a day or two. But I knew it was going to be longer than that. And I hadn't started worrying. I just knew that it was going to take a while. Well, we got the book. Um, but we also, I started getting emails because I made the order from the bookstore and they, you know, they sent this email saying, you know, this is what happened. We're very sorry. We are working with our distributors as best we can to get stuff to you. Um, and they have been phenomenal in communicating and giving updates and like, Hey guys, we know this is happening. We were, you know, if you have any questions, let us know. And, you know, it's been, it's not like I've got new friends necessarily, but <laughs> it is definitely, um, you know, they have done just a great job of communicating and keep keeping people in the know and being transparent about what their troubles are, where they're, you know, and I just got an email from them today saying, you know, we're, we, a lot of the books that were back ordered, they weren't just back ordered, like waiting for them to get from the warehouse. There were no more of them in existence. Had they them. had to turn print or, you know, go to printing presses and, and make more copies of them. And they're having to do that now with like a whole second tier of books. When people couldn't get that first wow. tier that they were hearing, they started buying other books. And now those have gone out of print and they're having to reprint those. Um, so it is, people are reading some books. And or, or buying books. books. Well, I take it back. People are them. buying some books. We <laughs> hope that they're reading them as well. Um, but, you know, they have, they have maintained communication with their customer base. And it's, I have, you know, been very pleased with, um, I mean, I never called them and complained, but the the constant communication and transparency of what of what they're working through. That's cool. Yeah. I just added them to our show notes, too. Oh, good. Yep. All right, friends. It's been so long that, since we've done this, but we usually end with takeaways. That was my takeaway. Okay, great. Ruth, do you have a takeaway? Oh, I feel like this whole podcast is a takeaway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allow me to just continue to encourage myself to to see it, you know, to yeah. filter through scripture, to filter things that happened in my life, like, oh, wow, you really struggle with that on a regular basis, you know, mm -hmm. and continue to have that prayer of God, allow me to see what I can do, where I can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and so that's my takeaway is to just continue this path and continue to surround myself with people who feel like this is important. Yeah, that's good. Mine is sort of related. I would say that um, as white people, it's a privilege that we can sometimes set this, build that wall like you were talking about and set, set it down and be like, okay, I'm not going to think about this for right now. Um, but I really want to be a person who continues on that journey and I, and, and continues learning and then continues acting and cha making change. And I think that I've been able to sustain that through the summer only because I've been doing it with other people. You, Jay, the coaches, now the teachers at school, my two little friends on text that we talk about it all the time. Like I'm like you're saying, I surround myself with people who are on the same journey. Some are further ahead, some are, you know, not quite as far ahead in what they're in their what they know so far. But um 
if you can find to people who are listening, if you can find your people who are going to keep you accountable to keep learning and keep doing, then you won't, it won't be as easy to be like, nope, I'm done today with that. And I'm going to go back to normal, like you were saying. So find your people and push them and let them push you too. All right, Ruth, I may or may not see you on a run tomorrow. <laughs> all right, get your work done so we can do it. Okay. Because then you're going to be gone all weekend. And yeah. I've already been gone five days. So, yeah. all right. Oh, shout out to you for your 100 miles in one week. Oh, thanks. That's pretty impressive. We need to put that on the podcast. All right. So, thanks. I got to run 27 of them with you. But that was yeah. awesome. There's a little math for you. Yes. How many <laughs> miles did she run without me? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a uh, part, part whole part unknown problem look we said some math in this podcast all right good check it off (laughs) all right thanks for listening friends i'll see you tomorrow ruth all right bye